are listening to the Fuerte Network. Welcome back, everybody. I am Danny Arona. This is We Are Home Arizona, an immigration podcast, and I'm joined in studio by my partner Carlos Navarro. Carlos, welcome back. It's been a it's been a couple of weeks, but how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Uh, thank you so much, Danny. I want to say thank you to Frecuencia uh, Alternate, uh, Fuerte, and just to everyone listening. I'm excited to be back for episode two. Um, it's been like two weeks, right? Yeah, so I mean, a lot has happened. A lot is happening, and at the same time, a lot hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. It's this weird kind of political sphere that it goes to, where we see and hear news every day, but at the end of the day, we look at it broad picture, like like uh, you know, we say in sports, you look at it from thirty thousand feet, and the needle really hasn't moved too much, even though a lot of ground groundbreaking things has been happening. So we are going to discuss that a little further, and then we also have an interview that we had with. Uh, Hattie Gassama from the We Are Home campaign. So she was the le- legislative strategy manager. Is going to be. Uh, it was a really, really good talk that we had with her. Her insights and everything that was going on with DC and her and her background. Because we see another yeah. woman of color showing what our people could do. You know, showing what immigrants could do for this country. So definitely, definitely a great joy to have her with us via Zoom. Because. She's in DC, right? We couldn't fly her out yeah. from DC. We got to uh, get on with the Fuerta people. We got to get our budget I up. Got to increase the budget. <laughs> try bring to in the get, guests. Get airfare. So any takeaways from these past weeks that you that you want to bring up, Carlos? I know. I feel like every time I blink, I miss something. <laughs> like they right? just added a new provision or something got taken away. Um, I think the biggest takeaway is, is parole. Uh, what's happening with parole, the protections it provides, uh, what it doesn't provide. Uh, I have a lot of feelings and a lot of them are mixed. But in general, I think it's pretty positive. After the conversation we had with Hattie, essentially what I'm thinking now is we continue fighting. All right. And so for those of you at home, we're going to go ahead and play our interview that we had. This is Hattie Gassama from all the way from Washington, D.C. via Zoom. Hope you enjoy. And welcome back to the We Are Home Arizona podcast. We are here joined via Zoom all the way from Washington, D.C. We have Hattie Gassama, Policy and Advocacy Director for the Undocu Black Network and Legislative Strategy Manager for the We Are Home campaign. Hattie, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for taking your time. And may I just say that is one hell of a plaque you have on your desk with that title. <laughs> Thanks so much. So glad and appreciative to be here. Um, thank you for giving us the space and the platform to have this conversation. Of course, no. Thank, thank you. Like I said, for for joining us over there. I know that uh, you you got a, a lot on your plate right now, especially with everything that's been going on. So, Hattie, just for the folks at home hearing you for the first time, I uh, want to get to know a little bit about you. How did you end up being part of the movement in whole, and what brought you to the We Are Home campaign? Sure, I'm happy to to discuss that. I mean, first I'll start off by saying I'm an immigrant myself. Um, My parents and I uh, immigrated to Atlanta, Georgia from my home country of the Gambia, which is a tiny little country in West Africa um, when I was eight years old. Um, I grew up in Northeast Atlanta on Buford Highway, which is, if you know anything about Atlanta, that is like the immigrant hub. I always like to say I went to high school where um, I believe I maybe in the whole graduating class, maybe we had one or two um, white um, American students. Everybody else was immigrant, 
either Latinx or African like myself or South Asian or Southeast Asian. So um, it's always been a part of me. Um, I started working at the Undocu Black Network um, about a little over a year ago. And Undocu Black is one of the over 200 partners that the We Are Home campaign has. And we also sit on this steering committee. And so I think through that relationship, um, the opportunity came up for um, me to be able to support the campaign in a leadership role. And so I was offered the position of legislative manager and um, here I am today. Did you have any kind of like doubts or did you have any kind of, you know, second second guessing for you to jump into something this big? No, not at all. I think, I mean, if you hear anyone from the We Are Home campaign talk about how like the whole coalition came together and the campaign came together, it was really early on um, this understanding, even before um, Biden won the election, the conversation was that it is going to be our people power and the, you know, the hard work of um, members of our community who are going to ensure that Trump is out of office and that we have a Democrat majority in both the House and the Senate. And so for us, it was like, if we're going to work this hard to get the political atmosphere that, you know, we desire, then we're also going to hold those elected officials accountable. And that's exactly what We Are Home is. It's all of our organizations came together and it was that this is the time for these politicians to deliver and they have to do it this year. So I, I think from the very beginning, until now, regardless of how insane and crazy and sometimes uh, disheartening or frustrating the work is, the, the hope is always there. That's that's what's gotten us this far. Um, and that's that's what's going to get us to the finish line. Exactly. And now let's get right into this reconciliation that we've all been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Where it yeah. stands now as to where it started, so much has been stripped away. We were discussing a little bit earlier today off camera about what we thought about this. And pretty much the consensus is, I mean, this was the best we were going to do, but kind of with a question mark. Was it yeah. the best that we could do? So I wanted to ask you, like, where it stands right now? Do you think we gave up too much or do you think that this is actually a good compromise between both sides? Yeah, I, I don't think it's even a, a concept of giving up, I will say, because I, I don't think we're there quite yet. I think as a campaign, we have people fighting day in and day out. Um, there, there are folks on the campaign, we, we call it like a both and strategy, if you will, rather than an either or. There are folks on the campaign who are really focused on the technicalities of our, our plan C, our permits, which I, I'm sure I'll go into more um, details with later. And there are also equally folks on the campaign who will say, you know, we started this thing out seeking citizenship and we're not going to leave any stone unturned until we get that. And if you look at all of the messaging that we put out, um, it's very clear that our North Star has and always will be citizenship. This campaign, when it was put together, it was of the understanding that it's a temporary thing. It's only for but so many amount of months. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that our fight as a whole stops after that. So we understand that citizenship is still very much the goal. Whatever comes out of this reconciliation process will be that. If it's anything short of citizenship, we are still hoping that we would have laid enough groundwork 
and um, put in place a system where, you know, we can achieve that next goal of citizenship. So I, I wouldn't say, you know, that we've, we've given up quite yet. Hattie, I did want to ask, I know there was a lot of division in between some people being happy and unhappy with, with what came out of the reconciliation bill. And I appreciate what you're saying about this is basically us living to fight another day. How do you suggest like people on the ground and in different organizations that aren't maybe necessarily not part of the We Are Home campaign, how do they advocate for further after after parole or after what we get from reconciliation? Yeah, I think it's it's a matter of obviously with anything like this, any big bill like this, where we've been in constant communication with the people on the ground and like mm-hmm. with the members of the impacted community. As an immigrant myself, and as someone who has like direct relatives and loved ones who are undocumented, I can say that like the the experience of being disappointed by the U.S. government is is nothing new. And I think even just processing that over and over is traumatic in and of itself. Um, What I would say is that after this thing wraps up, whatever it is that we end up getting, which will be regardless a victory in and of itself, right? Mm. Um, I think we would still have to regroup, re-strategize just like we did for this campaign and and continue the fight. I mean, when we started this campaign, the fact that we would even be in the reconciliation package was like a far-fetched idea. I mean, we're coming out of like the Trump administration where we're just barely trying to like keep ourselves safe and not deported and all these other things when we were having those early conversations with members of Congress, they would look at us like we had two heads or something, this <laughs> idea that, you know, we want immigration reform in this very sort of complicated budget reconciliation thing. Here we are at the tail end of it with, I believe, uh, over $100 billion allocated for immigration reform. That's that's no small feat. So I think we we would have to keep pushing forward I think what that looks like will vary based on, you know, different organizations, different priorities. But I think the one thing that we are in alignment of is that this is certainly not the end for us. As I said, citizenship and a pathway to it has always been our North Star. And I I think as a movement, that's what we're going to continue to fight for long after this reconciliation process wraps up. Exactly. So what it looks like right now, we're going to be getting directly from this would be parole. So can you explain to us what exactly is parole? Yeah, happy to. So parole on its own as an immigration concept, just, you know, it's a piece of immigration law that generally refers to like an official permission to enter and remain temporarily in the United States under the supervision of the Department of Homeland Security without like a formal admission so like without necessarily a visa or anything like that that's the general definition of parole the parole that is currently in the legislative text of the reconciliation package and we also as a campaign and as a movement have really tried to step away from calling it parole we call it permits or permisos just because parole sometimes gets conflated with the criminal justice version of parole which is horrific in its own ways right right it's, it's got that negative connotation to it. it yeah exactly and so the but the version of it the permits that we're talking about in this reconciliation package 
would essentially cover people who've been in the United States since January 1st of 2011. That's roughly about 7.1 to about 8 million people. And what it would do is provide them with protections from deportation, as well as work permits that they can renew after five years. They would also potentially be able to travel domestically and internationally under this program. They would be able to get co healthcare coverage under the Affordable Care Act, and they would have access to a bunch of other public benefits such as WIC or NAP or Medicaid and Medicare, things like that. It would also provide people who entered the country without inspection, so people who entered the country without necessarily a visa, who have, say, close relatives who otherwise would be able to file for them to get permanent residency. So they have like a child who's old enough to file for them or a spouse or whatever. But because they entered without inspection, usually, you know, they would either have to go back to the home country in order to get like the green card or whatever. Those people under this program technically would then be able to change their status to permanent residence. So that's that's the sort of, um, I guess, parole in a nutshell. The very simple pieces of it is that it is protections from deportations and it is work permits. And again, it would cover about 7.1 to 8 million people. And it has all these other extra caveats of, you know, you might potentially be able to travel internationally. And depending on how you entered the country, you might be able to change your status through like a loved one or a close family relative, such as like a child who's old enough to file for a green card for you or a spouse and so on and so forth. It sounds like a pretty comprehensive piece of legislation. I did want to ask, I know in the past people have considered DACA as a band-aid. Do you see parole as a band-aid again, or do you see it as something different? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it varies. I think it depends on which organization you ask, um, what the sort of makeup of their base is. Um, what I would say is that, again, as a campaign, for us, it is very clear that parole is not what we wanted. We did not hype everybody up <laughs> for all these months for, for parole. Honestly. But um, I think there there's also a general understanding that we, as a campaign, are also, we knew we wanted to deliver something. We knew we wanted to hold elected officials accountable. And so if parole is what is on the table, and if that's the last stone that's left unturned, and it would change the lives of quite literally millions of people and protect them from being potentially deported back to harmful situations, it would give them work permits so they can provide for their families, then I, I, you know, I, I would have to say that is still a victory in and of itself. And we can hold that victory while also holding on to, you know, the anger, the frustration, and the rage that the powers that be did not allow us to get the, to the ultimate goal of halfway to citizenship. I think both can exist in the same space. Yeah, I feel like uh, something like this would probably be like them thinking if they give this to us, we'll just be quiet and go home and be on our merry ways. Like, no, we'll take it, but we're going to be back for everything that we've asked for, Continue everything for that sure. we've earned, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Can you go a little bit of a detail into the actual cutoff date? Like, so it says right here, the January 1st, 2011. So mm -hmm. anything 2010, December 31st and back, none of those people would be covered. 
opposite everybody up until that so oh, okay okay at, yeah it's the other way so it's like the newer you are after the january first date wouldn't be covered okay and the date comes about again because this is a budget reconciliation package and it's going through the senate the senate has like very specific rules as to what can go inside the reconciliation package they have this thing called the bird rule which is like this balancing test pretty much of uh, deciding whether the piece of legislation you're presenting has enough of a budgetary or economic impact as opposed to just like a policy or social impact. So when you hear us talking about conversations with the Senate parliamentarian, that's what she's like deciding or ascertaining. And so one of the reasons why the date is the way that it is, is based on how much it would cost the government to actually provide this program and this source of protection to those millions of people. And because again, that this is a budgetary thing, all we were allocated, our little slice of this big reconciliation pie was just a little over a hundred billion dollars. And so we needed to make sure that we stayed within our own budget. And so in order to do that, you did have to have, you know, a little bit of control as to like the, the number of people who would benefit and so that's where the the um, cutoff date comes. And then also speaking of dates, I know in the legislation it talks about the protections being valid for ten years. Is that correct? Is there a cutoff date as well for for renewing those protections? Yeah, so it's ten years because it's like technically five years from the start of the program, and then you're able to renew it for another five years. What would happen after those ten years? Ideally, by then, I mean, fingers crossed, all the good vibes are at play. We would have fought to the nail and hopefully we would have won a pathway to citizenship and permanent residence for uh, millions of our brothers and sisters who are not even covered under this program. So like in my perfect universe, like we wouldn't even be talking about this like renewal because we would have continued fighting and gotten our North Star before those 10 years are up on this particular thing. So it's like you said, right? It's important to keep fighting, keep pushing because the yeah. fight doesn't end here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For all of this that we've been talking about, it everything seems fair. Everything seems equal. Everything seems like it would be a good compromise from both sides. Why hasn't this passed yet? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it hasn't passed, I think, for a number of reasons, but um, one of them being the timeline has been very sort of up in the air and always subject to change based on different things. I mean, it's taken so long for them to even just agree on the amount, again, because our, remember, our immigration piece is just a small piece of like a slice of a pie in this giant thing that covers a bunch of other stuff, such as like climate change and care and paid leave and child care and all these things we hear about in the news, which are all equally as important and affect members of our communities too, right? But I think in order for them to even get to a number, this I, this package started out at, I think, like 3.5 trillion. Yeah. And totally. um, some like moderate Democrats such as Joe Manchin and others kind of like pushed back on that number saying that the package was absolutely too big and that there was no way they would vote for it. So through negotiations and cutting down 
um, the number. I think if you remember also the immigration number was around 107 billion. And through those negotiations and cuts, we, we our number went down to 100 billion. Some other programs were just cut out completely out of the package. So it's a big deal that immigration stayed in this far and was protected up until this point. Where we're at now in terms of timeline is that the process is in the House of Representatives. We are anticipating that they will, fingers crossed, vote on it this week. We expected them to vote on it week before last, actually, but there was a delay there where a couple of offices held up the vote saying that they wanted financial information on the whole bill. And so they were waiting on what is known as a CBO score, CBO's Congressional Budget Office, to give them like how much the whole package would cost to make sure that whatever it is that they're voting on, I guess, is fits into the same number that they agreed upon or negotiated upon. And so between those offices, Speaker of the House Pelosi, President Biden, they came to an agreement that they would hold off on it until this week. And so once they vote this bill out of the House, then it would go into the Senate. And then we would, you know, have the Senate process. Ideally, we would again go up to the parliamentarian, get her feedback on Plan C. You know, if she gives a positive response to it, then it would go, you know, to the final vote. And again, we're just a small part of this huge package that other people are also grappling with and negotiating on other pieces with. But I would say that's why it's it's taking so long. It's not necessarily just an immigration thing. It's just that this is this very big package that has been in the works for a very long time. I think everybody understands how high the stakes are, yeah. that this is a once in a generation opportunity. And so I think it's been a long journey to say that. Yeah, my final question that I have for you is, uh, like you said, once a generation opportunity that we have based on election results that we saw this year around the country, we are seeing that that could be truer now more than ever because offices mm -hmm. are dropping left and right. So, I mean, if it doesn't happen now, I mean, the future may look pretty bleak and not to say we're going to stop with all this, but it's going to be a much, much steeper hill to climb. What are your thoughts on the Democrats who lost offices around the, around the country? Yeah, I mean, I think even just seeing how it's changed the conversation and narrative of the reconciliation process that we're in now and how we've, you know, lost a little bit of leverage, if you will, because of those losses. I, you know, I think that that is disheartening, but as, as someone who I'm, I'm still sort of new to this game and like the majority of my career in the immigration space was under the Trump administration. And what I can say is that our people and members of our community are resilient against like the hardest odds ever. And sometimes it almost seems like we, we fight even harder under like the, the impossible odds. So I think policy wise and just you know just personally speaking whatever the result of like the upcoming midterm elections and so forth happen or whatever those turn out to be I, I'm not worried about how how we're going to fight we were able to even have small victories even under the Trump administration my home organization of undocu black was able to pass what is known as LARIF that's the Liberian refugee immigration fairness program which was able to give green cards to Liberian nationals. 
that is like a legalization piece of legislation, the only one of its kind in like several decades. That happened under the Trump administration. So like between our people power and the people on the ground and the organizers and like the amazing genius policy minds at play, I think we can still definitely achieve what it is we need to achieve under whomever is in charge. But I mean, I think again, it comes back to being able to not only have that hope, have that resilience, but really take advantage of key and critical moments, which is why again, these next couple of weeks is so, so, so very important to us. And I did just wanna say that I'm extremely proud of you, especially to see an immigrant in, in a position such as yours, informing other immigrants and fighting for all these provisions. Just uh, wrapping up and final thoughts, going forward with the immigration fight, how do you see that playing out? And do you have any other final words in terms of the provisions or anything else we talked about today? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I sound like a broken record, but I, I'm just going to keep saying <laughs> it. I think it is so very, these next few weeks, I can't stress enough, are critical. Um, and I, I'm so proud of our movement and just how far we've come over the past couple of months, really within this reconciliation process. I think for many of us, it was like an educational opportunity. I know personally, I like did not know anything about reconciliation when this whole thing started. I knew that someone named the parliamentarian existed. I did not know what her job was or any of that. And so for us to like really come out as the, the underdogs and like the people who no one thought would get this far to being one of the few progressive pieces of the reconciliation process that stayed all the way through till the very end. What I would just say to folks is that please continue to apply the pressure on your elected officials. It works. We've seen members of Congress go from absolutely not trying to talk to us, not trying to hear anything that we have to say to, you know, all of a sudden expressing their support for immigration provisions in the reconciliation package. And that doesn't happen because of some, you know, magic thing someone like me or another policy person has said. It really comes from like the grassroots up strategy. So I just encourage everyone to maintain the pressure that they've been doing and hopefully we'll, we'll push this thing to the finish line and win. Hattie Gassimo, Policy and Advocacy Director for the Undocu Black Network and Legislative Strategy Manager for the We Are Home campaign. Thank you so much for stopping by, spending a few minutes talking with us and explaining all of these very, very important issues to us. We're definitely going to have to have you back pretty soon. Might even have to fly you out here, have you in studio. <laughs> I would love to. That, that would be an, an awesome break from gloomy D.C. <laughs> <laughs> yes, come get some sunshine over here. Even in the winter, we're still hitting 90, so... Uh, you're lucky. <laughs> uh, Hattie, thank you so much. We will see you here next time. Thank you so much, Hattie. Thank you so much. Take care. And once again, that was Hattie Gassama from the We Are Home campaign. Great conversation we had with her. Thank you so much to her and to the We Are Home campaign director for getting us in touch. Uh, she was going to be with us this week. She will be with us later on. So we're definitely looking forward to having her in studio because she's actually Arizona based. And one of the few people that is Arizona based is still enjoying 
our beautiful weather like like Hattie said it's very degrees. it's very uh very humid over there i, I this is the one yeah, thing i can't DC. take in the world i can't take humidity mm-hmm. anything above 10 percent, and i'm already you know I, I feel it i feel it too much but let's get right into the takeaways you said earlier about just that you had a lot of mixed feelings with parole i know we we talked a little bit about it so what is your state of mind just carlos navarro himself <laughs> i think originally um re- i was really mad i was expecting green cards registry uh, yeah, a something lot of, a lot of us were you know a lot of people were i was expecting a lot more but after our, our talk with hattie as i like how she she phrased it as um we live to fight another day i know yeah. during our first episode we kind of talked about how this like the immigration game is very long and it's existed a long time before us and probably you know after this it's going to exist for a long time after us so i think now i'm more neutral i'm i'm like positive that i'm content with with like the provisions, um, eight, eight, almost 8 million people affected by the program. That's a lot of people right. uh, whose lives will be changed. Employment authorization documents, the ability to potentially travel abroad. Traveling abroad is a little different because you stop to apply for advanced parole. But still, for a lot of people, that could mean seeing their families that they haven't seen in for the first time in years. For In years, yeah. I feel exactly the same way because uh, we, we talked about our first episode, how we, we want it all. It's all or nothing right here. So, I mean, we weren't like, uh, we were talking like, like if we were going to be there in negotiations, we will not budge on this. I'm right in front of the parliamentarian <laughs> asking. Uh, but yeah, like uh, obviously with this, as with everything in life, it takes compromise. Talking with Hattie, the way she put it, that it's still a win, which she's right. It, it is still a win that was, it's not as big as what we wanted, but it's still moving forward. And essentially with the five years plus a renewal, five years, we essentially bought 10 years time to fix this problem uh in her words if everything goes well we don't even have to wait that long for the renewals like we could get this done within the next five years so you know in a perfect world that's what we would be aiming for but you're right we are going to continue this this is not a stop this is not a a an end all be all for for this fight it almost sounds weird to say but i'm excited to see what we're gonna be coming out with in the next few years and and this is without the uh, program even being approved yet so we don't we yeah. don't exactly know we're gonna be waiting the next week or so uh hopefully by the end definitely not past thanksgiving a lot of people are saying thanksgiving and uh see the porcin right? no trabajan and now the holidays <laughs> are coming up like durante el año <laughs> This day, well, like we could be in for a long wait if they wait that long. So mm-hmm. hopefully she's right, and hopefully that by this week we're going to be able to get more news, get a little bit more uh, details on what the official bill is going to be, what 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 everyone's paperwork is going to be looking like, what they're going to have to do. We talk about it here, of policy, of compromise, of possible things that people will be able to do, and we have to keep reminding ourselves that these are individual lives. We're throwing around the number a lot. It's going to be seven to eight million people, blah, blah, blah. But each one of those is a person, a, a family. Yeah, definitely. Each one of those is a mom, a daughter, a dad, a cousin, an uncle, someone who either depends on people or has people depending on them. And I hope that politicians take that to heart. All right. Like we, we throw around numbers. We throw, especially when it comes to money, we're throwing around yeah. billions. We're throwing around millions, you know, even trillions of dollars to different things like that. And it's easy to see on a piece of paper. But do you know how much a billion dollars actually is? I honestly can't even like <laughs> imagine a billion dollars. And even think about 8 million people affected. I can't envision a million people, let alone eight. So I think that's a lot of people. And uh, just for context, I believe the Phoenix metropolitan area itself, like including Glendale, Chandler, Mesa, all the in Phoenix, yeah. I believe it's about 5 million. 
So even with the huge area and the amounts of people, you've seen the traffic on the I-10. Horrible. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. So that's not even half of the people that would be affected. That would be affected. So, I mean, yeah. yes, we are dealing with incredibly huge numbers. Uh, what are the takeaways did you get from this? I think um, I think it's easy for me to, to be pessimistic and be angry about what didn't happen. Um, but when you put it that way and there's that many people that are going to be affected and each one has a life, each one is either like a tío, a tía, like a daughter, uh, a son, a mama, like that's a lot of people affected. And then the ripple effects for those people affected are going to affect their families and the families of those families. So there's a lot of ripple effects that would come from it. So I think I'm feeling a lot more positive and a lot happier with that, especially since I think like my parents and other people's parents would also qualify. I think at the end of the day, the most important thing for me would be that my family's safe. And I'm pretty sure for other people, they want their family safe. So right. I think that's what kind of me so más feliz uh, of of like what happened. The only anxiety I have is, yo, what happens after 2031 if it doesn't turn out to be a perfect world? But it's it's a long fight, and you like how you were saying, unfortunately, um, how things work. You have to compromise. You don't always get the the full 100% of what you wanted in a bill, and we're gonna have to continue fighting. And uh, one thing that it is important to is to showcase and tell the stories of all of us and what we're contributing. You know, we hear endless students that straight A's all their lives not being able to go to college. You know, you hear athletes who are amazing at soccer, basketball. You know, I just recently had an interview with uh, a boxer who's like world class. He's oh, 17 dope. years old, undefeated, knocked out state champions, things like that, but can't really do anything with it because he is undocumented. His father is undocumented. Uh, all, all of these individual stories of, of greatness that we just keep in this little ball, like we won't release, you know? And uh, so I, I, once again, I hope that stories like that, conversations like these, you know, all of these reach the ears of the people that need to hear them mm -hmm. and, you know, do the right thing. So that's yeah. where we're not asking. Like we said last, we're not asking for too much. We're asking for what's fair. Yeah. And I feel like it's we're not asking for for a lot either. We're just asking for, for people to see immigrants as human beings, too, who deserve also to live in peace. Exactly. Anything else that you want to add today? Basically, that was it. Um, I think in the next two weeks, there's going to be a lot of movement and what's happening with the Build Back Better plan. There's going to be the votes. There might be things that are added, struck down. So we'll keep everyone updated because the, the finish line is getting really close. <laughs> yep. So that's definitely something that we need to prepare for. So once again, I am Danny Orona, and I would like to thank everybody to, that helped to make this episode possible. So everybody from Fuerte, the We Are Home campaign, and a special shout out to Cahoots. You know, it's a working space where Fuerte is based out of. Uh, if anyone needs any type of office, if they need a big conference room, if they need an entire presentation room, or something as small as just a desk to work at, Cahoots provides that and everything else that somebody would need that can't really go out and you know buy a luxurious office or rent out a huge space for for them to actually work out of so cahoots is definitely something that they can turn to and that is conveniently where fuerte is located so big shout out to them and uh, of course frequencia alterna for lending us their airways lending us expertise and being able to get this to as many people as we can uh karina dominguez our producers senia orona and don medina executive directors of fuerte uh, myself danny orona with carlos navarro your host thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week yeah, thank you so much nos vemos <laughs>